0: Hi friends, Catherine O'Neill here and I am the CEO at YWCA Edmonton and the co-chair of the Searching for Xena project. Thank you so much for supporting our campaign, which is commemorating the 100th anniversary this year of the very first woman being elected to Edmonton City Council in 1921. In total, only 31 women have served our city over the last century. So from the very beginning, our team of volunteers and researchers have been committed to telling the whole story, the whole truth of not only who these political pioneers were, but also the challenges and barriers they faced when they ran for public office and served at Edmonton City Hall. In part six of our podcast called Enough, we take an in-depth look at the very dark challenge of abuse of the misogynistic, sexist, and violent language and threats that many of these 31 women faced while serving our city. It's a part of our political history that has largely been untold. Many of the stories you're about to hear have never been made public before. But we think it's important to tell these stories so that we can start finding real solutions, so that we can start ensuring that when a woman steps up to run and to lead our city, she does not have to face this level of abuse and hate. This episode is not suitable for all listeners. It contains violent language and language that can be triggering for some. So please be forewarned before you start listening to this episode. In the end, we hope that by telling these stories, we can inspire real change and real solutions, because enough is enough. Women and gender diverse people should not have to face this hate, this abuse, simply because they want to serve.
1: These trolls are engaging in this kind of aggressive, violent, sexist um, online attacks as a way of expelling women from politics, so not just from the online sphere, but also from the offline sphere.
2: If we worked at a company, you would never allow your employees to face that kind of behavior, and yet somehow we think that well, it's taxpayers' money, and that means that they should, you know, get this. And I, it, that's wrong. That that's really, really wrong.
3: Power is the base of all of it and, um, and people see it as a finite pie and if you, uh, if you make a bigger piece for someone else that means you're getting a smaller value.
4: Hello, my name is Olivia Beauty, welcome to Searching for Aisina on womanly stories of female leadership at Edmonton City Hall, brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Parity Yeag, and several past and present Edmonton City Councilors. 100 years ago, on December 12, 1921, Edmonton elected its first female councillor, Izena Ross. Over the past century, only 30 women have followed in her footsteps, including me. This nine-part podcast, generously sponsored by the Edmund Community Foundation, will tell that wildly incomplete chapter of our city's history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You will get to meet the 31 female councillors and learn more about why they ran and how they shaped our city. And there are still barriers that need to be broken, even in 2021. Now, let's get started. Our hosts for this political journey are Stacey Bratzel and Kim Ann Wilson.
5: Hello, welcome to Searching for Aizina on womanly stories of female leadership in Edmonton City Hall. This episode is enough and we have had enough. We have had enough of the harassment, the abuse, the threats to women in politics. And we'll be talking to a few people about how we can stop it. What can we do and where we are right now in, in making that change? And you're joined by myself, your co-host Kiman Wilson and Stacey, Stacey Bratzel. Bratzel.
6: Yeah, I'm so glad we're talking about it because I don't think a lot of people do talk about it. Nope. Right? We're ripping the band-aid off and, and there's going to be tough things that you hear and 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 maybe it might trigger some emotions and some past experiences for people who are listening to this and of course we do want to extend to this. This podcast is sponsored by the YWCA and you can access counseling services from them and in other places in the city because we're talking about some pretty gross things.
5: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
6: The, the things that women have to face while being a politician is gross. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. Uh, uh, For people who don't know, I I am married to a former politician. He served at the Alberta legislature for 14 years, Thomas Sukazic, former deputy premier. And I asked him, I I interviewed him a little bit about uh, the harassment he faced. And did he know his female colleagues were getting it so bad? And he said, no, I. I wow. They didn't talk about it. Yeah. Uh, the harassment that he faced. He he's a man in in a male dominated business, mm-hmm. if you will. The worst he stuff. The worst stuff he said he got was immigrant comments. So he is originally from Poland. Go back to where you came from. You're not Canadian. He is. <laughs> Why are you telling us what to do? That's what he saw mostly, including some violence. He. There was a time where uh, there were some. Uh, possible threats of people coming to our house. This is stuff you don't know, folks. The stuff politicians uh, face every day, it doesn't make headlines. So there was a possibility, uh, the sheriffs did um, an assessment, and there was a threat, a credible threat that people would come to our house, they knew where we lived. And so we had to wear pagers, Wow. So he had one button that I had to press if, if I ever felt like I was in danger or somebody, somebody I didn't know was trying to enter our uh, premises. We didn't have to use them. And after a couple of weeks, the threat was diminished and, and we gave them back to the sheriffs. Women face this all the time. Mm-hmm. However, it's amped up for them. Mm-hmm. They get sexual assault threats. Mm-hmm. They're called the C word. Mm-hmm. People are threatening to kidnap their kids, mm-hmm. rape their kids. I know. Oh, like gosh. it's gross stuff. And it's not something that that men face, at least in my right. personal experience, because Thomas said that on a scale of one to 10, he thought his harassment were was about a five.
5: About a five. Wow. We did interview the majority of the surviving 13 counselors. And what they found was that the common thread between all of that is that they they, they faced unspeakable harassment and threats from the public. And I find that appalling.
6: Yeah, some pretty crazy stories, right? Uh, one female counselor, she received repeated death threats. One person even went so far as to fax a threat mm-hmm. to her office that said he was going to kill her son.
5: Mm-hmm. He went through a lot of lens because he hid himself from yeah. the cameras and yep. everything.
6: Because the fax ow. came from a store. So right. they they never found out who no. this guy is. And mm-hmm. it it remains open. They haven't mm-hmm. found out who sent this fax, which is the scary. Could you imagine? Yep. Yep. She's doing her job. Right. Yep which is a kind of a crappy hard job at that oh, and you just made it worse it's it, it's
5: it... it's unspeakable yeah. and that's why this is titled enough like we have had enough and there's things we need to do about this because another one said that her her death threat was so amped that she was placed under police protection as well mm-hmm. right that's
6: and and i have heard stories over the last 6 months that uh, two female counselors Uh, in the Edmonton area are under police protection as we speak. Wow! So this is happening, but you don't know about it. And that's why we're talking about it today. And lastly, and this is a really gross story, folks. Mm -hmm. Um, So sad that a a woman had to go through this, but a woman, and these are city councillors telling us their stories. Mm -hmm. Guess why they didn't want to come on and tell it themselves? Because they they didn't want to relive it. it. It's just too hard. They don't want to look weak like lesser than a male politician, but we need to be talking about this. So we're telling their stories for them. One woman was mailed a piece of tree bark to her office. On the bark, a person had carefully written death and rape threats in blood. A female assistant opened the mail containing the threats, and she still remembers it to this day. I just
5: got goosebumps. That's just...
6: Who does that? Who does that? We're going to talk a little bit about... uh, What's the profile of somebody who would actually send a piece of bloody bark to a woman doing her job yeah. to her workplace saying, this is what I want to rape you with?
5: That's a lot of investment, the time, the effort, the like the premeditation of that is just like you said, what what kind of person would do that? These are human beings. Ugh.
6: They are not they are not things. These are human beings with families <laughs> and who things. love and they don't deserve this no i can see the emotion on your face listening to this it's,
5: yeah i'm just i i i'm i'm going through it and again these are just some examples right these are just three examples that we this not go exactly that that's the point this is just just a it a bit of what someone shared with us but compared to the others who've who are still reliving this right and and we're in 2021 2021 you would think we've we've advanced somewhat in years but yet still we're still experiencing all these things and it's just appalling it's yeah
6: All right, let's get into it. We've got Shirley Lowe, former Edmonton Historian Laureate and Chief Historian for the Searching for IZENA Project, thanks to a generous support from the Edmonton Heritage Council. And we have Dr. Angela Wagner. She's an adjunct professor with the Department of Political Science at the University of Alberta. She is also a former journalist. Thanks for joining us.
5: Yes. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome, ladies. And we're going to go right into questions because this is going to be a packed episode. So I'll start with you, Shirley. Uh, You know, can you just talk a little bit about the experiences or the background of uh, harassment and abuse faced by women who are seeking political office?
3: well i think i was asked to do the historical perspective and of course it's not a, a new or idea that uh, that women haven't been asked to uh, join the the political parties or our political race for as long as as our history has been uh, documented the, um, the suffragette movement in the late uh, 1800s and early 1900s suffered from a lot of pushback, politically and through newspapers and and political cartoons and magazines and posters. The um, there was even uh, the, well the the powers that be um, managed to co-opt the word feminism and and gave it uh, gave it. Some really interesting definitions. For instance, feminists were man haters. They were they abandoned their their families. Uh, they were uh, not likable people to begin with, and uh, and most of all, they were unattractive. So, there were a lot of um, editorials and and in newspapers and uh, and certainly political cartoons. So they managed to segment women into feminists, um, and, and, um, uh, and they were different than regular women, believe it or not. So a word like feminine became unfeminine. Mm. And, um, and then you um, – so you had this segment that you had to do something about. And so the next level of that was uh, were actually cartoons that portrayed violence against women. the the, the one that uh, that I saw, well actually there were several, but the one that stands out for me was a woman who was a particularly unattractive. She was roped to a chair and hanging above her head waiting to be to crush her. It was a large anvil. Wow. And, um, and and yes, and underneath it, it said, "This is what we like to do to a suffragette." Holy! So holy. there was this overt threat. And um, now in Canada, uh, you know, women weren't beaten or or taken off to jail the way they were in in England in the U.S. But um, but there was a lot of derision and there were a lot of, over- well, I suppose if that's a subtle threat, drawing somebody's uh, head being crushed by an anvil. I, I guess that was uh, that was not a real physical threat. It was or not a real physical uh, bit. It was it was definitely a threat.
6: Uh, Shirley, I just want to ask you this. Uh, The podcast is named after Izena Ross, the very first Edmonton City Councillor elected 100 years ago this year. What would it have been like for her? In fact, I think it took some time for researchers to find out what her actual name was, Izena, because it just had her as Mrs. William J. Ross. Mm hmm.
3: That's right. You lost your name and, uh, and your identity. Uh, remember that 1921 was five years after the, after women in Alberta got the vote. And, um, and it was the same year that Nellie McClung was elected to the legislature. There were all kinds of caveats. I mean, for instance, um, you couldn't run for office without, uh, until 1968 without, without owning property. And so that eliminated a lot of women. There were also uh, the other kinds of discrimination, for instance, uh, basically along ethnic lines. And, and uh, so if you, were, if you were a woman, you were, had an uphill challenge. Even in 1921, there were, uh, you, you could, you could uh, write articles in the newspaper that, uh, that pushed back on women. It, and so she was. Oh, also, um, Emily Murphy had been challenged at, at her personhood had been challenged by a lawyer after she had given a a, a, a particular uh, when she was a magistrate. She she had um, uh, I commented on a on a particular. Um, Trial and and um, and was pushed back. So it wasn't until 1927 that uh, that women became persons. So this is all going on while Izena is trying to make a political career.
5: Right. That is that's that's eye opening for me. <laughs> you know, as someone who has the unpolitical eyes in this whole. Um, searching for Izena podcast series. It's really interesting to see the journey and the history of all of this. But one thing I did want to m- ask uh, Shirley earlier, you mentioned you know all the different things the media was doing in portraying women as uh, you know unwomanly and all these different things. Wouldn't you say, or would you say, what's your opinion on the media playing a huge role in how we as 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 a city? view women who are looking to run for office what's your idea of that would you say the media plays a huge role in that
3: of course they do uh, a- anybody who's in communications of any type plays a huge role and uh, and it depends i mean our media is not limited to newspapers anymore mm-hmm. so you know it's it's a it's a broad stroke and uh, so everything everything has to do with that mostly the damage that media does is by ignoring women
5: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we see that even in today's in today's world, right? Like right now, we're going through an election coming up, right, in what October, and we're already seeing a lot of that happening. I think in previous episodes, we've had um, a few women on the podcast who were talking about their own experiences just a couple of, few years ago, um, and it's still prevalent to this day and age. Um, you were saying, Shirley, that in 1921, it was only five years prior that women got the vote here in Alberta, right? And that's right. Right. One thing I wanted to say, then, if five years later, women are still having that barrier, that issues in 1921 and we're in 2021 now, how are we still playing catch up?
3: (laughs) Well, a lot of the uh, a lot of the things that um, that were issues in um, 1921 and frankly, 1912, uh, are still largely issues now. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, uh, I mean, it, the definition of feminism is still out there. Mm-hmm. Right? It has, you know, women who are, they're, they're, they're regular, normal, wonderful women, because you can't start a war on women. You start a war on, on women in a different, you call them something else. And, um and so there they are, they're feminists. And if you if, rather than than saying, well, you know, this is about equity and opportunity for women, uh, suddenly, these are aberrations. You know, this is not normal for a woman to do. And, uh, and I think there, there are even women now who who will object to being called feminists. And it shouldn't be. That kind of label, it should be benign, it should be something that says, I'm a woman, and here's what I do here are my strengths. And this is, you know, this, this is, um, I need to be represented because women live very different lives than men do. Definitely. And they experience
6: politics much differently as well. And there's a lot of negativity that comes Mm -hmm. with running for office as a woman. Uh, Dr. Wagner, we haven't forgotten about you. (laughs) We want to talk a little bit about your research and and what you found over the years. Let's talk about the harassment women face. Mm -hmm. Whether it's okay. online or or whether it's, you know, emails or whether people, you know, I, I know when I was still on television, uh, I would get handwritten notes for people who, who didn't like me and didn't like what I was wearing or what my hair looked like. Uh, so let's talk about the harassment in general. Wow.
1: Okay, well, Shirley has certainly um, drawn our attention to the fact that harassment against women politicians has been going on for decades, um, and politicians... Regardless of their background, do face a lot of harassment and intimidation. So, we've seen, of course, a lot of physical harassment, um, a lot of defacement of campaign properties. So, we've all seen campaign signs being defaced with you know, sexist, racist, homophobic comments or just something that's rude. You know, there's people who have defaced um, campaign headquarters and all these kinds of things. It's just what we're seeing in more recent years is this increase in online harassment. I mean, the advent of social media was believed to give us all this opportunity to engage more deeply with politicians, to talk about politics, but that's not what's really played out. What we've seen is that it's become this arena where we can give our unfiltered opinions. And so whatever kind of harassment women faced on a personal basis, like face-to-face or getting nasty mail, like letters in the mail and all these other kinds of things we're now starting to see take place online. And we're much more aware now, I think, of the kind of harassment that women politicians are facing and the various ways in which they're facing it because women politicians are really starting to talk about it. Um, So what social media has really allowed to happen is for a lot of the attacks in place against women to really come out into the public sphere to be much more noticeable or visible to the rest of us. It's because we can actually see the comments that they're making about women politicians that they might've just whispered at events or, or talked about at the kitchen table. So we are starting to see women really experience, especially the intense online harassment. Um, so I think what we should really view it as is this kind of continuum of harassment that women have experienced since the first woman was v- elected to Edmonton City Council, that the ways in which that harassment and that violence takes place has changed over the years, the venues in which it takes place um, have changed and broadened, and um, So we are seeing this really intense and uh, intensifying online harassment of women politicians where they are attacked through social media, through Twitter, through Facebook. But they also, we need to think about it as not just seeing it as just online harassment, but as a way that the harassment is taking place both online and offline. And sometimes it can take place at the same time. I guess one way to explain it is that women politicians in particular might post information about the kind of harassment they're getting offline. Um, I remember women politicians posting about the kind of letters that they get where they actually show the letter and the ways in which they are addressed by these letter writers. Um, We've certainly seen uh, on social media the ways in which, uh, for example, uh, Catherine McKenna had a very rude gendered term. Uh, smeared across her campaign headquarters. We're all made aware of that now because of social media and the ways in which um uh we can communicate about politics and about politicians and what's going on in politics. Does that work? Does that work
6: if female politicians uh talk about it and 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 show what they're getting? Is, is it good for people to know or, you know, I, I know a lot of politicians don't talk about it because they they, they don't want to look weak. or They don't, they want, don't want to want amplify to look, it. Yeah, and they, they may want to do that and they, they don't want to, to to give it even any uh, space Attention. in their lives.
5: Yeah. So is it good? That women
1: polit- it is good. Um, one of the challenges that women politicians face is that anytime they talk about the gendered nature of politics, they're accused of playing the gender card. Mm-hmm that they're accused of playing the victim. But in this respect, we really need women politicians to be willing to talk about these experiences so that we can become aware of this particular challenge and address it. I mean, you can't address a problem if you don't know it's a problem. Yep. And what these women politicians are doing is they're drawing attention to really egregious behavior. And hopefully what happens as a result of that is that the public becomes aware that this is not an appropriate way to interact with politicians. That regardless of whether you don't like them or their politics, they're still human beings who deserve to be treated with respect. And this is a way of doing that kind of educational project that's necessary to address this problem, to reduce it, eliminate it as a problem. I would also argue that women being um, so willing to talk about these experiences is perhaps one reason why uh, governments are increasingly willing to to talk about and potentially address this issue through the various mechanisms that they have available to them. Mm -hmm. So it is a good thing that women politicians are talking about it even though they do face the risk of being accused of playing the gender card of, of playing the victim. But I don't think that that's what they're really doing here. I think they're simply making us aware of what their workplace environment is like in the hopes of actually changing it.
5: Right. Right. Dr. Angela, I wanted to ask, cause I know, I know for a, Example, you were saying that, um, you know, or even Stacy was sharing just now about sharing and exposing the attacks and the information and the the, the abuse that they experience. Wouldn't we, I wanted to say that, um, you know, moving forward as a strategy that we have not adapted, right, over the past umpteen years, well, 100, 100 years, we haven't done this. We haven't been able to really hone in on this 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 exposure of what's coming to women politicians or looking to run for office um if we continue down this road, don't you think the predators or the people who are using these strategies to intimidate the women, don't you think they'll continue? They don't see consequence for what they're doing. Yes. It's written, you know, if you do this, yes, you'll get thrown into jail or, or you'll get fined or whatever, but there's no real consequence, right? I can still send you a message and nothing is done. But if I'm exposed, then I think I'm going to be shamed. I'm, I'm going to probably crawl into my hole and apologize. Uh, Don't you think this is something we should be doing, especially now in this day and age where everything is kind of accessible? You know, as politicians, expose these people, show who they are and have them be accountable for it. Let them take responsibility for what they've said and what they've done.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the challenges of social media. Um, You can be anonymous on social media. And one of the things that needs to happen is that we continue to press social media companies to require people to be honest about who they are, you know, to require that you actually have a real identity behind the social media account. Um, because so much can happen behind an anonymous account. Like we've seen problems when it comes to um, um, bots. So Twitter accounts that are very much automated, right? Mm-hmm. They can do it because... You know, social media might not require them to be a real person or might not go out and verify that they're a real person. The anonymity of social media, at least up until now, has been a key part in the reason why these trolls have been able to attack women politicians without any kind of consequence. And I wonder if that's why we've seen some of this counter push where people try to out who these abusers are, who these attackers are in the hopes of, you know, maybe them facing some kind of consequences. So that's where people have been using social media to fight back, if you will, where we've seen video of um, of interactions, offline interactions between people and um, then identifying who that individual is. I mean, we've seen a profound impact of how people have used social media to address racial injustice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um because now we can actually see these events taking place and we can see who the participants are. So it's important that in social media, that we, that we try to limit the anonymity, that we require people to actually stand behind their words um, so that they are facing the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because freedom of expression is incredibly important, but it's not absolute. Um, We need to be honest about who we are and what we're saying so that we can get that accountability. I mean, really it boils down to accountability, right? That everyone needs to be accountable for what they're saying and how they treat each other in politics, whether it's online or offline. Um, So yeah, I would argue that we do do need to speak out and speak loudly about the kind of abuse that is taking place um, against women politicians um, and
3: who's actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm
6: I'm going to ask both of you, because I, I know that Shirley wants to answer this question, too. <laughs> Who are these people? Can we unmask them? What Do they have a type? Do they have mm-hmm. a profile? Who's doing this harassment? Who's threatening someone's children? Who's saying, I'm going to rape you? Oh, Who's doing this? Anonymously, obviously, when we're talking about threats as, as terrible as those. But do they have a type? Is there a type? Shirley,
3: do you want to start? Okay. Well, the, um, the, the study that, that I read and was about gamers and, um, and- and if you remember GamerGate, where uh, where there was this really hostile attitude towards any woman who, who came on and played uh, who played games on on the internet, and um, so they did. Um, they found that the people who were doing the most harassment were were the men who were uh, mediocre or low skill players. <laughs> And um and that um basically they uh they were subservient to the males who were good and high skilled players, but they absolutely abused any female that that came into the game. And um and it was uh so that kind of tells you something. I don't know if you can if, you know, I mean that's obviously uh can we can we bring this over to political games, but I, I think people who have to do this lack something. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And we just, you know, really,
1: it's, you know, we we can. Mm -hmm. Well, in feminist media studies, um, there's a theory called gender trolling, where it's argued that the individuals who are doing it tend to hold very traditional gender stereotypes that they believe very much in traditional Mm -hmm. gender hierarchy, where men Mm -hmm. should be the political leaders and women should be the political helpmates that women should be consumed with the responsibilities of the domestic sphere and men should be the political leaders who are deciding everything. And so there's this argument that these trolls are engaging in this kind of aggressive, violent, sexist um, online attacks as a way of expelling women from politics. So not just from the online sphere, but also from the offline sphere, about just excluding women in general in order to return politics to the exclusive domain of men. Um, but we do need to keep in mind, too, that there are ways in which some women engage in very sexist attacks against other women wow. and even amongst mm-hmm. women politicians. Um, so we can't assume that the gender troll is automatically male. Mm. Um, would imagine that many of them are male. But they're not necessarily exclusively male, that there are women who are engaging in this kind of online behavior as well. Probably not so much to try to expel other women from the political, like not to just expel women in general from the political sphere, but maybe uh, certain kinds of partisan women. So it might be a way of, uh, of trying to expel other kinds of ideologies. So, that you can retain politics as perhaps more of the exclusive domain of your political ideology, of your, you know, if you're right wing or left wing, um, whatever that might be. Um, So, I would expect that a lot of what's going on is about power, about exerting power in order to try to
3: control power, hoard power, if you will. Mm -hmm. I expect that power is the base of all of it. And um, and people see it as a finite pie. And if you uh, if you make a bigger piece for someone else, that means you're getting a smaller value. So uh, yeah, absolutely power.
1: Yeah, I would agree. They view it as a zero sum game. Mm -hmm.
5: So I I guess then the next question um, is, what can we do? Is this something we can solve? Um, You know, where do we start? Um, There's a lot of work that's already started. But to me, we, we, we keep talking. <laughs> I yeah. see a lot of talks, you know. And
6: what role do men play in right. this as well? Yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah. How can we solve this? What What can be done? I don't think we can underestimate
1: the power of talk. We really need awareness campaigns mm-hmm. about what is taking place in online spheres and what's necessary in order to address it. Um, Because I suspect that many people, especially those who aren't on social media, aren't aware of the nature or the extent of the problem. Um, The women politicians in Canada who have stood up in their respective legislatures and actually read out the tweets have utterly shocked their male colleagues. Mm -hmm. Like the men are just shocked Mm -hmm. to hear this. Right. So if you're not experiencing or you don't see it, then you might not realize that it's a problem. So talking is important to do. But we are seeing efforts by government governments, and other organizations to try to go beyond that. So there's a lot of push on social media companies to take steps to regulate this online vitriol, especially the most extreme. So death threats, violence, Um, and there's also, I guess, threats by politicians that if the social media companies don't self-regulate, that they're going to impose regulations that force the social media companies to do that. There's also the ways in which government can um, update criminal law and civil law and basically law and regulations regarding online harassment. So there's a lot of behaviors that are now taking place online that have long taken place offline, like stalking. And it's a matter of updating legislation to reflect that so that we don't create any kind of loopholes or gray areas where, you know, police feel that they can't proceed with criminal action if, Something's happened online. Um, So there are things, various kinds of things that can be done. We do need digital literacy or digital etiquette uh, training so that people learn how to engage respectfully um, without necessarily interfering with their ability to express their political views. Just say, you know what? A rape threat, a rape threat, a death threat. These are not acceptable, right? Um, And just... Try to make people more aware of how they should be behaving in a way that's respectful, but still gets their point across.
6: Yeah, it's hard to um, believe that anyone in this day and age doesn't think that a rape or I was a death just, threat I was is not just acceptable. Say. How it, do you right? teach
5: people to know that? Oh, <laughs> I don't even know
6: where to start.
1: And I agree with you, but we've seen in the political scene, especially in North America or you know even Western countries, we've seen this rise in white supremacy, white nationalism. Yeah in sexism and homophobia, where people who had these views before and never expressed them now feel that they've got permission Mm -hmm. or the right to do so. Mm -hmm. So even though, you know, we all would agree that rape threats are bad, there might be individuals out there who feel that it's okay to say it if they don't actually end up doing it, you know? um, Yeah. So it's just, you'd think so, but there is a group of people out there for whom you do have to remind them that that is, in fact, a bad thing. That's crazy. And we've heard the story. So that yeah. that's exactly true. Uh, Shirley,
6: last word. What do you think? What's the key to stopping this?
4: I, I think it's
3: outing things as well. Uh, and, and I think we can't forget the other category, and that's harassment on the job itself. Uh, because it's not like politicians are, are welcoming women as you know, and and we we know that they've been harassed, and and the Me Too movement has been a really big uh, help in in this regard. It, it it outs people. Women are not afraid to say I have been harassed,
6: and we have seen that at the Alberta Legislature already yeah. in the past uh, over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining us
4: today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Searching for Azina. This podcast was made possible thanks to the generous financial support of the Edmonton Community Foundation. We also want to thank the Edmonton Public Library, the City of Edmonton Archives, the Adams Agency, and Ryan Jesperson for the generous use of his Real Talk Recording studio. Check out searchingforisena.com for a full list of this project sponsors, partners, and committee members. Searching for Izena has been largely powered by volunteers from across the Capital Region, from research to social media to marketing. Volunteers of all ages, backgrounds, and political leanings are helping bring Searching for Izena to life during a pandemic and countless Zoom calls. Thanks to the former and current Edmund city councilors who have helped us tell their important stories. Now, back to searching for Izena.
6: There is technology created right here in Edmonton that is uncovering the toxic craft we see online. It's called Parity Bot. It is technology that roots out and confronts and tries to tip the balance of the vitriol directed towards women running for or holding public office around the world. It's been used in elections in New Zealand, here in Canada, and the US. And we have two co founders joining us right now. We've got Lana Cuthbertson. She is CEO of Aretto Labs, and Casey Machen. She is COO of Aretto Labs. And both are co founders of Parity YEG thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us.
5: Awesome. Thanks for having us. Lovely to have you ladies. So I'll start with you Lena. First question. Uh just going to dive right in. How did you come about on this research?
7: Uh so Casey and I when we co-founded Parity YEG, our main goal was to recruit more women to run for public office. So we were sitting having Coffee with women, you know, three times a week uh, <laughs> in downtown Edmonton, saying you got to run for office and what's stopping you? And higher and higher on the list of barriers was the online abuse that they've either faced themselves or or heard about women in politics facing. Mm-hmm. So, keeping this in mind, um, I was at a sort of an unrelated conference for my my day job at the time, uh, sort of a uh, an AI conference. And presenting a fintech paper, (laughs) long story short, don't need to get into the details there. But um, while I was there presenting that conference uh, in the mix of the machine learning world, um, I saw a a paper that was done by Amnesty International and Element AI called Troll Patrol. And they had created a machine learning system to detect toxic tweets um, sent towards women in politics and journalism. And I thought, this is great. This is critical. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later was sitting around on vacation and thought, hey, could we combine this detection system with some kind of positive intervention system? And uh, that's how ParityBot was created in the first place. So tell us what is ParityBot and how does it work? Yeah. So ParityBot is a Twitter bot that uses a machine learning technology to detect um, toxic tweets, abusive tweets, harassment, um, discrimination, negativity, Sent towards a certain list of uh, women candidates running for political office. uh, And then for every negative tweet, it detects uh, past a certain sort of bad threshold, it posts a, a positive tweet to try to counterbalance oh, that wow. message. Um, and really the idea is to do a few things to to quantify for people the, the vastness of this problem um, and also try to, to change the discourse and model good behavior to a digital community. Wow, that's so technical.
5: Ah. <laughs> How long has the bot been like, how long since the bot's been like in operation?
7: Yeah, good question. Yeah,
2: Yeah, we uh, we started it for the Alberta provincial election in 2019 and then the federal election. Yeah. Uh after that. And then we most recently did the uh 2020, was it? Yes. The 2020. Oh my gosh. Uh New <laughs> Zealand national election and the American election. Wow. Just recently as wow. well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
5: Is it only on Twitter? Yeah. Uh
2: so far. Oh wow. But we are we are actively working and have some really, yeah. really cool projects that we hope will work out that um call out all kinds of the that women face not just in politics, but mm-hmm. in sports and activism mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. this is just the beginning. Casey, what are you seeing?
6: I know that you're using this technology, New Zealand, uh, all around the world. Uh, what are you seeing, and is it working?
2: Sure. Uh, what are we seeing? So I guess is maybe one place a worse the than high- the other,
6: it, or is it is it <laughs> bad everywhere for female politicians?
2: You know what? It's bad everywhere. I, it, yes. The, I think, I think one thing we can count on the higher profile you have, certainly the more toxicity you encounter and, and face, um, it, you know, based on population size and, and candidate size uh, that really, when we, when we went in and, and did the American election, it certainly um, changed the amount of data that we were collecting uh, which was really valuable. But, um, but, yeah, regardless of um, where you are and what party you're running for, you are going to to face toxicity. And um, really women from other equity seeking groups face even more. So uh, that would be what I would say generally what we're seeing. um, I think one of the things that we learned and certainly Lana can talk more to the technical side of this, but uh, in the New Zealand election in particular, our our bot sort of like went wild on election night and we were, we were wondering why this was happening and, Um, like it was enough that all of us were sort of notified to the amount of alerts, because as mentioned, every time there's a toxic tweet, a positive tweet is posted in response. And so the feed was just getting flooded and, and to the point that we had to adjust some things. Um, but really, uh, that we wanted to investigate why that was happening. And, and when we did a bit of digging it, it, it really, there's correlation, um, these attacks tend to be, um, coordinated and can also, um, spur out of, out of other, um, tweets that have been sent to other world leaders. Um, we did notice that and, and definitely there's, you know, swarming. Um, so I think that this is, this problem is not necessarily going away, but I do think that, the more that we talk about this, and as was mentioned previous, uh, the more that we call this out and and not accept this type of behavior, I think the more that we're going to see this change.
5: So I know you guys spoke about data and this bot picking up on you know the the toxic language used and stuff like that. But how do you define abusive language? Like what 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 are the the parameters I guess and the metric that you use within this bot tool to say okay this is abusive like what's what, what how do you guys define abusive language
7: yeah really great question so uh, there are a few ways to answer that um first of all like sort of on the technical end the the machine learning model that we use has been trained on um previously labeled data that uh indicates whether or not it is toxic sort of according to like a maybe a human judge in some cases and uh, also trained on unlabeled data, which is not necessarily overtly labeled as toxic. So just in terms of training that machine learning model to, um, uh, label what's toxic or not. That's kind of how that system works. Um, It's a sort of subfield called natural language processing. Um, And really what machine learning does is it provides a prediction. So what we do is run all of these tweets through this machine machine learning model and get a, a number out of it that sort of says, okay, the model is... 92% confident that this tweet is toxic and 68% confident that that tweet is toxic. Um, So that's kind of the scoring system that we end up with. Uh, It's also how we use those scores to choose our our threshold at which we decide that something is toxic enough that there should be a counter tweet. And really for us, that's been um, a really interesting exercise. You know, in Alberta, when we first ran the bot, that percentage was 80%. There were a lot of things that most people would say were toxic that fell below that threshold uh, but then when we ran it in america just because of the design of the system we had to make that threshold much higher at 99% and then with all of that considered this system is a machine learning system natural language processing it's absolutely not perfect i sort of describe it as as like you know, humans often miscommunicate with each other and miscontext and, and can't mm-hmm. get things right. And machines are even worse at it. Um, <laughs> it, it it's not a perfect system. You know, a lot of the falseness that we see involves swear words and and curse words. So curse words and swear words, if they're part of a tweet, it'll almost always be scored quite highly toxic, even if the sentiment is quite mm-hmm. positive. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, she's so effing great, <laughs> um, <laughs> would be scored toxic. But I'm really kind of, we know as humans, that it, it's not so much. Um, so it's an imperfect system. And then I guess the final thing I'll say is, with all of the machine learning deployment that we've done and the research that we've uh, we've we've gone through, um, there's a really critical aspect to consider, which is the bias of the systems themselves, and and mitigating for that bias and understanding the impact. So all of these systems are trained on our real world data, which is. Um the real world we live in is not perfect it's it's biased and that's what these machines are reflecting back at us and that's critically important to understand as we deploy these systems in sort of cultural interventions the way we are
6: and i think i probably understood about 60% of what you just said <laughs> <laughs> like kidding right but I, i'm just really glad you're doing it uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, the human aspect um can we talk about the female politicians the female candidates that may have been mm-hmm. uh subject to some of this pretty terrible harassment have they have they come to you and said thank you have you have you heard from mm-hmm.
2: them yeah yeah. Um, you know what, Stacey, I'm gonna say that I probably understood about 80%. And if I'm <laughs> this, a lot and to the technical the company, side, yeah. I own this company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um there is so much to it. Um, but really I think what I love so much about technology um is that you can really use humanity to solve some of those problems that uh that technology can help solve. So Uh, yes, we did, uh, a lot of user, uh, user research and, um, user experience feedback surveys and such, uh, and got some really good data. Um, and certainly women, I think more than anything, the, the thing that we heard overwhelming, overwhelmingly was that it was nice, um, to be validated. Um, and, and that's, I think what I find, and also goes back to what is so critical about people talking about this and being open about it. Um, and I'm going to say it, um, men need to also talk about the fact that this type of behavior is not acceptable to any politicians and you don't need to have a thick skin, um, to be a politician. You need leadership skills, but I will step off my little (laughs) soapbox there and get back to the question. Um, I, I would just say that, uh, yeah, um, it validates the concern which which is really critical and important it role models as Lana was saying um but also it builds community and community is really what can solve some of these big big problems that are faced by our, by our community and, and those that participate in it um as far as politicians I think the the other thing we often hear as well it, you know if you can't handle it get off social media and um, I'm just gonna call that out. That's not acceptable. When you are a public figure, you are expected to be in the public eye. and and so you do, you you take that on knowing that um, that that is expected of you. Uh, but that should not be at all. Um, any sort of prerequisite to some sort of abuse that you should accept when you're taking that job. We would never expect this in any other type of position. Um, And if we worked at a company, you would never allow your employees to face that kind of behavior. And yet somehow we think that, well, it's taxpayers' money and that means that they should, you know, get this. And i it that's wrong. that that's really, really wrong. So uh, I think what this all hopefully in the end can do um is really protect those people that have no choice but to be a public figure online um by calling it out and validating their experience and and all of us, um I don't know, creating a community of support around them because that I think is what could ultimately tip the scale. I like Casey
6: on a soapbox. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she's Sorry, lots of fun, and she's saying like... lots
6: of really great things, and that's why. And that's why we are talking about it, and that's why we're dedicating more than an hour on the Searching for Izena podcast to let people know exactly the crap that these politicians are, are facing. Enough, Enough is the name of the of the podcast. Yes. Enough. And I love that you said that. There's no, the prerequisite to becoming a politician isn't a tough skin; mm. it's leadership qualities, mm-hmm. and that's what I really appreciate. And I really appreciate the work both of you ladies are doing mm-hmm. in this sphere. And, and uh already it's making a difference and and let's let's keep talking about it keep exposing it mm-hmm. and uh, thank you so much for for sharing your stories and and for spouting on your soapbox cuz we really enjoyed it <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks for allowing me to do that <laughs> thank you
5: so we we've done this podcast this episode enough and we truly have had enough we've spoken to the 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 researchers we've spoken to what they're doing technology wise but but really what do we do because i know for me it's it's i'm still baffled by all of this being that we're in 2021 yet still we're still struggling with all of these abuse the harassment and and, and just the attacks on on women in general and i know from this podcast, you're probably asking yourself "To okay, what's my responsibility and what what do I do? And I kind of want to leave that with, with all of us here for further discussion because this is something that we need to talk about. We need to expose it. And the only way for it to be exposed and for change to happen is is to really, really get down and dirty, yes, I said dirty, into the fields of what's happening and how how we're treating women and how we're viewing women in in, in this time and in this cause of, you know, trying to go for change.
6: Yeah, we have to make it uncomfortable and we have to live into this uncomfortable moment that perhaps we've done it around the dinner table, Mm -hmm. called a female politician a name- right they shouldn't have right Right. some microaggressions Mm -hmm. even from our own part take responsibility and and if you hear it
5: exactly call it out call it out "Mm, i
6: don't think that's appropriate i I think they've actually done a a lot of great things right um this was this was really interesting so i watched a a pretty poignant video and it was um two female sports reporters so once again Mm -hmm. a woman daring to enter a male zone right And they get some pretty ugly stuff. So they got some random men, men who did not write it, to read it in front of them. Mm. And it was ugly. Like, the C word used a lot. Uh, I hope you get raped. I hope a hockey player beats you with his stick. And these men could barely get through it. And they're like, do I have to? This is... uh, Wow. I'm so sorry. do Do I have do I have to say Jeez. this? And it made them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think men do play a role in making it stop. Yes, that we have to have men listen to this podcast. We have to let them know this is happening yep. because they are part of the solution. We are all part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of what I would take away from from this. Uh, I have had sort of an insider's baseball look at, at politicians and, and politics, but even even I, you know. Uh, I need to do more. Everybody right. needs to do more to make sure that women who are going to work yeah, in her, their chosen profession, and they may be kick ass at it, mm-hmm. don't be called the C
5: word. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we
6: have mm-hmm. to take responsibility. And, and I know that there's, there's things that we do all the time. We call Hillary, Hillary. Mm hmm. But we call Trump, Trump by his last name. Last we call, name. We call her first by name. her first name.
5: Right, right.
6: Right? So just those, even things that you don't even think matter, matter.
5: Yes, yes. So and I'm really glad that's us. why we're talking about it. Yep, It starts with us. It starts with sure. us. Uh,
6: if this did trigger anything in you, I just want to... Um, Just let you know that there are counselling, there's counsellors available, there's counselling you can access at the YWCA. They are uh, supporting this podcast. It is their their baby and and they want everyone who is watching this that may be triggered by some of the things that we've said to access some of the counselling and help available. Uh, just one other mention. Uh, after some of the harassment Premier Rachel Notley endured in 2016, it'd be interesting to bring her on the show as well. The Alberta Women's Shelter formed Lift Her Up. So this is a campaign to stand up against violent and misogynistic language and promote issues focused, respectful conversations. Uh, you can find out more by going to the Alberta Women's Shelter website.
5: Yeah on the next episode of searching for Izena podcast we asked some pretty big what if questions like what if the 31 women who have served on edmonton city council over the past century never were elected how different would edmonton be I think right? that's
6: the plot of a whole bunch of TV shows, too. What happened if these two <laughs> what, characters yeah. never met?
5: What happened if, if if women weren't around? Well, that's what we're going to tackle. Yes, most definitely. And it does make for a good, good plot. <laughs> from groundbreaking environmental initiatives to protecting our River Valley from development to ambitious neighborhood renewal projects, female leadership at Edmonton City Hall over the past 100 years has helped shape our city into the community it is today. We'll take you on a virtual tour of sorts to explore the powerful and sometimes controversial legacies of the female counselors who have served our city. We are going on a road trip.
6: (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have to get out of your car (laughs) or wherever you are listening to this. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next month.
4: You've been listening to Searching for Izena. Brought to you by YWCA Edmonton, Parody Yeag, and several past and present Edmonton City Councilors. New episodes from our nine-part podcast are released the third Tuesday of every month until October. Please check our show notes, social media, and searchingforizina.com for more information about this project and how you can get involved. Share this with your friends and family and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep searching for Azina.